commandment, the new commandment. And so John 13, verse 31 to verse 38, if you'd follow along, while I read. Therefore, when he was gone out, that's Judas, when he was gone out, Jesus said, this uh, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway, very soon, glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Jesus and Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life. For thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Our Heavenly Father, we think of this sobering passage of Scripture where Peter, so vehement about going with Jesus even to the depths of death, uh, soon afterwards was cowering in the corner and denying that he even knew the Lord. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd help us to, uh, to um, be bold when we would be put in a circumstance like that and help us, Lord, by our testimony and by our life, our actions, our words to learn what it is to love one another as you loved us and to love the Lord and love his word and to love his people and to love the lost like you love them, Father, that's a new commandment, and I pray that you'd help us to understand the vital nature of that new commandment. Pray that you'd bless the reading of thy word now today, in Jesus' name, amen. If, if you would, remain standing for our welcome hymn. We'll sing a verse and turn around and shake hands with those nearby you uh, as we play it through a second time. To the book of John, chapter 13, the new commandment, the new commandment there. We remember how that uh, last time as we took it up that uh, Judas had been uh, influenced by the devil himself and the scripture told us at the end of our passage last time that Satan having entered into him, he now went about to, to do the dirty work of the betrayal of the Savior. So at this point that uh, we picked it up today, Jesus is now with a, a different crowd here. He's with the the same people minus one. Uh, Satan has entered Judas' heart. Judas has gone out of the door and closed the door behind him. And now the atmosphere in the room is cleared. Jesus now looks beyond the darkness that he is facing with uh, Golgotha. And he looks to the glory that is to come following after the sacrifice that must be made. And he, with that in mind, speaks to his disciples this last time. I'm going to be leaving you shortly. And where I'm going, you can't come right now. You will come later, but you can't come right now. That was the difference between what he said to them and what he had said to the Jews who had uh, quizzed him about where he was going. <clears throat> and he had told the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. 
And he didn't uh, preface that or uh, add a, um, a subscription below that to say that there would be a time they could come. But he did say that of, this, of the disciples. We're, I'm going now. You can't come now, but you will be coming. You will. And he spake that to Peter later on. But as he's preparing them for the events uh, to come between the time he goes to the presence of the Lord and the time he returns in his second coming, there is something that he must tell all of us that are his disciples who are waiting for his return. And what he says uh, is the supreme important commandment that uh, all others fall under. So he repeats it in the verses 34 and 35 three times in those brief verses. He repeats that uh, phrase that you love one another, that you love one another. The Word of God makes it very clear what love is, what the biblical definition of love is. It makes it clear uh, love is, is not a feeling or an emotion, which, you know, we would have the world's interpretation would be that it's a feeling or an emotion, but that's certainly not what the Bible declares love is. You think of the initial attraction between a man and a woman and the feelings that come with that, the emotions that are involved there, the mutual affection that may uh, develop there. But that uh, emotion, that feeling, that mutual affection that does take place between a man and a woman can't be the only thing that a relationship is built on. It'll last a few weeks or maybe a few months but uh, all of a sudden that familiarity begins to breed contempt. And the only thing that can last is the commitment of love, biblical love. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today for uh, a time. Love in the, in, the, in the right sense, as I said, is not dependent at all upon emotions. We never have the right to say, well, I don't love my wife anymore or I don't love my husband anymore, so we're going our separate ways. That's, that's not our right to say. We made a commitment, and the commitment of love is, a, is based on actions that we are to uh, be involved in. They're not, <clears throat> love is not based on how I feel or don't feel you know, uh, about it. And your salvation, by the way, on a side note, on a sidebar here, your salvation isn't based on how you feel or don't feel. I sometimes get up in the morning and don't feel very saved, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so uh, I'm glad my salvation doesn't depend on if I feel saved or not. <laughs> we're not uh, talking about feelings in truth, and we're not talking about feelings and emotions in love either. These two areas, truth and love, are so mixed up by the world because they're misunderstanding of the distinction between those two things, love and truth, and feelings and emotions. So. Uh, certainly we will have feelings and emotions that are related to the truth and we will have feelings and emotions that are related to love, but they're byproducts of truth and they're byproducts of biblical love. They're, they're not part of the description of either of those things. And so very important for us to get that. In reading the commentators as I was preparing my message for this, one commentator said this, for a concept in such wide everyday use, love is surprisingly poorly defined. And certainly that is so. I mean, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? 
because he had such a poor definition of truth, he did not even recognize it when it looked him, when he looked, when Jesus, the truth, the way, the life, looked Pilate in the face. He didn't even recognize that, and he said, what is truth? He might also have added, just as well, what is love? For he had no better concept of what biblical love is than he did what truth is, either. And so that's what Jesus is addressing here. Jesus commands the practice here of brotherly love between believers. And these, this is a new commandment to these disciples because, I mean, they had heard the commandments about love. They knew the commandment about loving God. They knew the commandment to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. They got that. And they understood that. But hey, God is perfect. And it's not hard to love Him that way. I mean, it's not uh, something that we would look at and say, oh, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> and I love Him with my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength because He is perfect and He is very much one we could love uh, with, uh, with, those, uh, with those kind of commitments. But you and me, we're different than that, aren't we? We're, we're not the same as God. We're not the same as Christ. We all have our problems, our warts, our issues. And you're not as easy to love as Jesus is. <laughs> but the Lord says to all of us, He says, brethren, you need to love. You've got to love one another. You've got to. And there are several reasons He gives us for that there. Uh, yesterday morning, our three-year-old granddaughter, Gwen, is back, she's back in Indiana with the family. And they're seeing their cousins. And they, there's one cousin that uh, is Gwen's age, a little girl cousin, a real talkative chatterbox like uh, Gwen and, uh, and like Jamie, her mom. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, she's not here, so don't tell her. Uh, but, uh, but she, you know, uh, this little cousin of Gwen's is so excited. They're there, got up early yesterday morning, runs in there to the uh, living room. Gwen's there, and the family's kind of gathered around, getting ready for breakfast, and and this little cousin runs right up to Gwen, gets right in her face, you know, and just starts chattering away, chattering away. And Gwen gets this funny look on her face and uh, looks at her and says, your boeuf is disgusting. So, <laughs> so, so uh, brethren are not always easy to love. I think sometimes your breath is disgusting too. And, and you probably think mine's disgusting. That's why I carry a pocket full of mints all the time. They're... Uh, second to the Bible, they're one of the most important things we Christians can carry around if we expect to talk to one another. And so your breath is disgusting, and that is difficult when your breath is disgusting to love you, you know. Uh, but thank God for the fact that we are given this commandment that regardless of our breath or our looks or our heritage or our background or our issues or our warts or our problems, we're commanded to love one another. If we were commanded to have feelings and emotions for one another, how could we generate that? How could we have feelings or emotions? But we're, that's not our issue. It's not, a, it's not a problem for us to try to develop feelings and emotions that we would associate with the idea of love. We're simply to obey the command, to love one another. And so it was. You look among the disciples themselves. Here's Simon the Zealot. You know what the Zealot is. He's committed to seeing Israel return to her former glory. He's committed to the overthrow of Rome and the chains and bondage of Rome. And he's all in. He wants to commit his life and he wants everyone else to commit. He's a zealot for Israel. And then across the table is Matthew. Matthew has sold out. He's a publican. He's been collecting, getting rich off the Jews 
because he's a representative of the Romans to collect taxes from the Jews and he makes his living by adding whatever he can get to the Roman requirement and keeping it for himself. He's been doing that for years and he's not one that's really popular among the Jews and he's not popular at all among the zealots. In their mind, he's sold out to the Romans and he's just uh, getting his kickbacks by selling his soul to the Romans who are the avowed enemies of the zealots. And so here's Simon the zealot and here's Matthew and here's Jesus saying, I want you to love one another. <laughs> and they're given this commandment to love one another. Here's Peter on the one hand, impetuous, you know, always has something to say, bold and decisive. Even when the decisions are wrong, he's quick with the decision. And then over here you see Thomas, unsure, unsettled, doubtful, indecisive. And these two with such uh, polar opposite temperaments and personalities are to love one another. And we have that same uh, dynamic going on here in a congregation of believers. We're called to the same uh, standard as were the disciples then. You and I are to love one another. And so we have it there. The specific character of this love that he commanded us to have uh, was, he said, uh, he, if they asked the question, well, what, what are you talking about, Lord? He said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Wow, that puts the standard way up there, you know. Don't love one another just as best as you can when it's convenient. But he says, love one another as I have loved you. This kind of a love. What, what is this kind of a love? Well, it's a lot of things. Uh, it's given to us, this commandment is given to us not as a suggestion, but as a mandate. It's a mandate. And so we must, as part of our day-to-day -day responsibilities as Christians, we need to work on love, loving one another. It's got to be worked at. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, we read these words, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So there he connects the loving one another with a pure heart fervently to the truth. He said, as you grow in truth, as you grow in the knowledge of the word, the other thing that I am going to be looking for growing in you is uh, the love of the brethren, an unfeigned love of the brethren. Uh, you and I are good at feigning, you know, we're good at feigning. We may ask, well, how are you doing? And we really don't want to know, you know. We're feigning, you know, when we do that. But when we ask how you're doing, and we really do want to know because we want to pray for you, that's unfeigned concern, unfeigned love. And so he said, as you grow in your knowledge of the word and as you grow in your understanding of the truth, there needs to also grow an unfeigned love of the brethren. And so it's a command, a, a mandate, and not a suggestion. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 17, he says, love the brotherhood. And several times in the scripture, he puts the, the brothers and sisters that you're connected with in the world, he puts the brothers and sisters you're most closely connected with in that first category that he says, I expect you to demonstrate love to them especially. And it's because if you and I cannot exercise love to the brethren, how in the world are we going to exercise love to the lost out there? That guy that cuts us off, that one who's inconsiderate, that one who embarrasses, humiliates us, that individual who's, uh, who is uh, uh, the bully, you know, that one who at work is so difficult to get along with. 
How is it that we're going to love them if we're having a struggle even loving the brethren? So that's what he says. He puts it at the top there again and again. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Love the brotherhood. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, he says it this way. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Uh, the fervent charity among ourselves will cover the multitude of sins. Uh, is any without sin among us? You know, of course not. We've all got things that we uh, are uh, guilty of, that we are embarrassed about happened in our past that we wish we weren't like you know we're all that way and and he says but have fervent charity among yourselves because that covers a multitude of sins uh we're we're not really supposed to be looking for what's wrong with each other we're supposed to be looking for what's right with each other you know and in looking for what's right with each other we're supposed to be encouraging the right rather than focusing all our attention on whatever we think's wrong you know whatever we think is wrong with them uh, and so in looking at our brethren, let's ask the Lord to help us have an increasing uh, amount of unfeigned love of the brethren where that we are beginning to look at what's good about them, what's right about them, what's noble about them, what's a blessing, what can we encourage in this person rather than, yeah, well, that and there's this and there's that and they, you know, don't talk enough or they talk too much or they're too tall or too short or too heavy or too thin, you know, or... Uh, you know, I, you know, I don't like this about them. Don't like that about them. Well, you know, let's set those things aside and have a fervent charity. And fervent charity suggests the idea of something that we, you know, we're supposed to be working at. We're working at. So have that, he says. He doesn't say you will have it. He just says you need to have it. You, you, you need to work at it. It's a responsibility that you and I have to have. Uh, and by the way, the, we know this here, but uh, the broader, the broader company of believers across. The spectrum needs to know it as well that the love of the brethren is not limited to those that are like you. you know? uh, love of the brethren is, is unlimited. Anyone that names the name of Christ, those that are like us and those that are not like us, we're to love the brethren. We're to love one another. And so uh, that's what brings about harmony. The disharmony, the disunity in our nation at large today is not based on biblical principles of love, is it? It's uh, based on finding fault and finding error and, and, uh, and a, a abandonment of the truth is what it's based on. But we have the truth. And so we, uh, as a gathering of believers, have no excuse not to have a growing love one for another. So that's what we're talking about. And another thing that we see about this love is that it fulfills all the commandments. To love one another fulfills all the commandments. And we don't even have to know the 613 commandments that are laid down in the Old Testament. We don't even have to know any of the other commandments that are laid down in the New Testament for us as far as our conduct is concerned. Because if we love the brethren, all the other commandments fall in place automatically. He explains it to us in a different way than maybe you're thinking of. You might be thinking of 1 John. You might be... Uh, thinking of the Beatitudes, you might be thinking of some of these other passages that refer to the love of uh, uh, the brethren. You might be thinking of some of our earlier passages in the book of John itself. But in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8, it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. That's the debt we have. That's the debt we 
need to always be working on trying to pay. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. He that loveth another, he's saying if you get this one right, you don't even have to memorize the rest of them because you're just automatically going to fulfill them. Uh, he said for this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it's briefly comprehended and encompassed in this saying, namely that thou love thy neighbor as thyself. So love one another, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, and we'll find that we won't be violating any of God's laws if we get the first two right. The first and great commandment, to love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The second is like unto it, he said, to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, on, on these hang all the law and the prophets. So the, the pegs on which all the rest of the laws hang are those two, those two pegs. You get those right, everything else falls in place. So you got that, uh, that uh, uh, fulfillment of the commandments. You're worried about keeping the commandments? You won't need to be if you just keep, get the first two memorized and work on them. And then you have the model of love. Jesus said, here's the model, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. I've given you an example. He's going back to verse 5 where he takes upon himself the form of a servant and washes their feet and dries their feet with a towel, girt about him as though he were a servant in the house. And he says, as I have loved you, as I have demonstrated a servant spirit toward you, that's what I want you to, uh, uh, to work on. And I've given you the example of humility. I've given you the example of being void of pride. You know, that's part of biblical love. It's, it's a love that is void of self-will and pride, you know. And so we, we all need uh, help to work on that uh, example that he, that he gave to us, that he left for us there. Uh, you know, it, his love for us wasn't based on something he saw in us. It wasn't based on that. We love him because he first loved us, he tells us First John. We love him because he first loved us. He didn't see anything in you that was lovable, but he loved you anyway. And so he says, I want you to take that example. You don't need to find something lovable in somebody to love them. You need to love them because it's a command that I've given to you. And so we have that responsibility. This kind of love doesn't wait for someone else to make the expression first. Well, I'm just waiting for Ariel to say he likes me before I say I like him. You know, so... Uh, uh, that's not what the Lord said. He said, I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for you to, to make the first move. He said, uh, you, if you're fulfilling biblical love, are going to be one makes the first move. You're going to be the one that uh, expresses love in whatever fashion you need to express it. Uh, therefore, the brethren, and not concern yourself with whether it's reciprocated or not. This kind of love doesn't wait for someone else to make the expression first of all. It's the same with friends. Well, I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. Well, the Bible says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. So, and there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother in uh, uh, Proverbs 18. So, if you want, uh, you know, friends, he says the ball is in your court. You need to express love and express a, a friendly spirit. You need to be the one that takes the step and not waiting for somebody else, you know, not waiting for somebody else uh, uh, to come along, you know. Nobody shook my hand over there in the church, you know. Well, you sit there with your arms folded and your hands tucked under your armpits, you know. <laughs> 
And first of all, nobody wanted to touch them because they were, you know, uh, infected. Uh, and secondly, we couldn't even see your hands. You know? And you waited until everybody was gone, and you said, Harumph, I'm getting out of here. Nobody, there's not a friendly church, you know. So, well, uh, you know, be the one that takes your arms off from under your armpits and, uh, uh, and shows yourself friendly, you know. Uh, do that. Now, nobody's going to shake my hand uh, after the service. Uh, so, uh, uh, but I use my right guard, so I'm good. <laughs> and my mints. I got my mints going, too. So, so Jesus said, yes, I'm, the, uh, I'm going to give you this model of love, and I'm going to uh, ask you to understand that it's the, the, the person that is expressing the love, taking the first step, and not concerning himself with whether there's a response. It wasn't based on an expectation of an equal or greater return, you know. Uh, it's not the stock market. We're, we're hoping in the stock market, if you invest in mutual funds, you're hoping what you put in, you'll eventually get more back from it. That's not the way we're supposed to operate when it concerns this, uh, this doctrine of truth and the doctrine of love. We are to recognize that it's our responsibility regardless of whether we ever get any return on investment or not. And so it is important for us to, uh, to understand that. It is, it is a consistent love as well. Jesus pointed that out from the very beginning of the chapter when he talked about having loved his own, he loved them, uh, having loved his own which are in the world, he loved them unto the end. It was a consistent love. And so when he said to the disciples later, he said, the example of my love to you is the one I want you to duplicate to others. So to love uh, the brethren, not just occasionally, but all the way through until the end, all the way unto the end. It was an elevating kind of a love as well. John 15, we'll read about it later there in John 15 when we get there, but it says this in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doth. But I have called you friends, for all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Henceforth I call you not servants, from here on I'm going to call you friends. And uh, this is the commandment that is going to elevate you from that place to that place. What's going to put you closer to the Lord? What's going to put you more intimate with the Lord? What's going to move you from the Lord looking at us as His servants? And we are. We are the servants of the Lord. He's our Lord. And to be Lord, you have to have servants. And we're His servants. But He says, I'm not going to call you servants. I'm going to call you friends. I'm going to elevate you in status to the status of friends. Not only that, of course, he calls us his children. He calls us his brothers and sisters. He's elevating us. And he says the elevating factor is that opportunity that you have, that you love one another as I have loved you. So this love is an elevating kind of a love. Oh, the love that the world expresses and the world talks about, the emotion-filled, uh, uh, experience-filled, feeling-filled kind of love isn't, uh, really what you'd say were, was an elevating love because that so often has the expectation of reciprocation. You know, um, you watch the, the love story and you expect somewhere along the line, finally the misunderstanding is going to be cleared up and they're going to get together and they're going to kiss at the end, you know. Uh, and, you know, you, you expect that. So, uh, but the kind of love that we're talking about here is no, not at all based on what 
I might get in return for what I give. So it's an elevating kind of a love. Well, then lastly today, there's the, there's the logo, the logo, the trademark of the Christian. That's what he's saying there. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. By this. So it's, it's the trademark, you know. All men will know you're a Christian. All men will know you belong to Christ by this. And he gives them the logo. And the logo is, if you have love, one for another. Advertisers spend a lot of money uh, talking about branding. Christian's over here. He's into that uh, business. On, uh, part of his work has to do with making videos and, and doing promotions for businesses and, and such. And so he knows a lot about branding, you know, about talking about branding and getting the colors and getting the logo and thing and working it through the you know, working it through all the materials that a company or business or, a, you know, institution has and doing that. Um, he, he understands that. Uh, and there's a lot of talk these days about branding. When I was growing up, branding just meant, you know, you, you got the cow over and you, you know, branded it. You know? And that was it. So um, that was it. And then uh, you got branded or you got, you know, dishonorably discharged from the service. Uh, how many remember that TV show in the 60s called Branded? What do you do if you're branded and you know you're a man? You know, you remember that one, yeah? Yeah. Dishonorably discharged, and it wasn't his fault, but he was branded. He had to carry a broken sword around all his life, you know? So, uh, but that was all the branding we knew about. But branding today is, big, is a hot topic, you know, branding this and branding that. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a couple of logos and ask you if you uh, will tell me what they are. I'm just going to show you that logo. What is that? Yeah, yeah you, you recognize that right away, the branding. It, it was, uh, you know, it was... Uh, uh, the guy that started the shoe company was in Portland at the time, and he ran across a student that was uh, working her way through school, and she needed money, and he said, she was taking art too, and he said, well, look, if you, I'll pay you two bucks an hour if you'll come up with some kind of a logo for my new business I'm doing. And so she drew some things up and came back, and, and she came back with the swoosh. And uh, he said, well, he said, it's okay. He said, maybe it'll grow on me. Uh, and he paid her $35 for it. So, uh, so $35 for that, which is internationally uh, known now and been through many iterations, but uh, he got a good deal for $35 uh, on that one. So you, uh, you, you see the, the idea there. The idea is that as soon as you saw that, you said Nike. As soon as you saw that. Wouldn't it be good that as soon as somebody saw me, they'd say Jesus, you know. They'd say, there's, there's a follower of Jesus. Or as soon as somebody began to hear you speak and they noticed you didn't take God's name in vain and you didn't say, oh, my God, every other word. And, and you didn't say God this and God that. And, you know, you didn't use God's name as an uh, exclamation point. And they noticed that uh, you were careful about the way you talked. And they noticed that you weren't denigrating toward women or, or uh, people that were different from you. They noticed that you... Uh, talked in a fashion that uh, indicated that you had respect for other people that weren't like you. It wouldn't be too long before they were listening to you talk and they'd say, he's branded. He's branded. He's, he's, I think he's a Christian. You can even see it on, you know, you might watch some of these programs uh, like the house makeovers, you know, with the Christian couple that does that. And some of the people are, you know, profane and talking about things that you and I Christians wouldn't. And others... You see their speech is different and the things they're interested in are different and you think, start thinking, oh, maybe they're Christians, you know. Maybe they're Christians. They're branded, see. They're branded that way. And, and um, you and I need that, need that kind of branding. We, 
we need to have, that's what he's talking about there. He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. You have love one to another. So it isn't too long before they see, yeah, 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 that person loves uh, the, the believers and he loves the church and he loves the book and he loves righteousness and that, that person's like this. Do uh, you recognize that one? Citibank, yeah, Citibank. How much did they pay for that one? $35. No, they paid one and a half million for that. <laughs> they went to Pentagram and talked to Pam Schur, who has uh, uh, been in the business about 35 years. They said, we need uh, a logo. We're merging. Citibank was merging with Travelers um, Financial Services and uh, said, we need a logo. She met with them in a restaurant. She got a pen out of her purse and she sketched on a napkin and it took her about three minutes and she gave them that on a napkin and she charged them a million and a half dollars and that was in 1998 and they said it's well worth it we've really gotten our money's worth out of that <laughs> so uh but you recognize that logo uh the most has ever been paid was the british petroleum paid for their new logo and i don't even i don't even recognize it it's like a flower or something um and they paid two and a half million for that to to uh rebrand themselves because of the fact they wanted to get away from the Exxon Valdez and the oil leak and all that bad press for that. So they said, we got to change our logo. We need a logo that identifies us with green and with life. And it's a flower and it's green and it's yellow and it's springing and it's so nice. And oil does that, you know. Uh, so, uh, so, so, they, so they wanted this, uh, this rebranding. Uh, and that's what, uh, you know, what, what's your brand? What do people see? What do people think when they hear you, when they see you, when they cut you off on the road and see your response? What do they think you are? <laughs> do they think you're just like them? Or do they think, wow, that person didn't respond the way I thought they would? Or when they cut in line or when you're shortchanged or when you're cheated or when it's unfair what's happened to you and uh, the world isn't a very fair place, is it? When all these things go down, and they see your and my response, what do they brand us as? Do they brand us as just another one of the uh, hard-hearted, cold, indifferent, Pharisaic types? Or do they say, there's someone that loves other people and loves the Lord and loves Christians and loves lost people? That's the, the branding that is uh, essential here. we gotta, we got to understand the importance of that. So I ask you this question this morning. How clearly does your logo show up? And do you and I bear the marks of a Christian? And is our love for the brethren and for the lost readily apparent in our words and actions and uh, what we, the way we live, the way we conduct our life? So, you know, uh, what, the moment you're, if you're driving down the freeway and you're hungry, you start looking for what? What kind of restaurant? <laughs> in and out McDonald's yeah and uh, what you're looking for you're not looking for the building itself you're looking for the logo you're looking for it on a sign you're looking for this big arrow that goes up like that and goes like that you know and you're looking for that and you're looking for the colors of that sign you're just looking for this logo and as soon as you see it you say yeah I'm pulling off this this uh this exit and I'm going to go get something to eat there at that logo we immediately recognize those and so uh, we, 
we, want to, we want to apply that to ourselves and says, how long does it take for somebody to see that I'm a Christian? Does it take 10 minutes, an hour, a month, a year for somebody to say, I didn't know you were a Christian. We've been working side by side here and I never knew. You know, shouldn't be that, should it? Uh, it shouldn't be that way. We, we should uh, have those marks and they should be apparent enough. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Your logo, your logo is the logo of the love of Christ. See, John chapter 3 and verse 35, all men, all men. And that's, that's given us another truth here and that's that we as the disciples of Christ and this love we have for one another is to be a love that extends to all men. All men need to know we're disciples. And the idea of all men puts this thing in an evangelistic and a missionary uh, flavor. We want all men to know and we want to, to work to uh, help them get to know the, uh, the one behind the biblical expression of love. We want them to know Him. We want all men to know Him. We want all men to experience the love of Christ. We want all men to know that uh, He will give them that same love He's given to us. So do people in your circles, do they know that you're a Christian? Uh, would they get that idea from your words and your conduct and your associations and who you gather with and who you count your friends? Um, that's what I'm talking about. Disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, and they weren't. They didn't take the name, just like Baptists didn't take the name. They were given that name. Disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, and they were called that by people that said they love Christ. They're little Christ. They're little followers of Christ. They were called Christians because everybody saw that they were trying to be like Christ, you know. The outsiders, the lost, the world, the society, the culture called them Christians. And I wonder today if our community would, would how long it would take for them to call me a Christian or you a Christian if they started getting to know us a little bit. And, and so the challenge is there for us. See, the, the world, you know, grows more and more averse to the scriptures. And the more that occurs, the more we will need each other, brothers and sisters, the more we need one another, the, the more averse the culture goes, the further they go from the Word of God, the, you know, the more difficult they're going to make it for Christians to practice their faith. And so you and I certainly need to, uh, we, we need each other. and We need to love each other when it's easy so that loving each other when it's hard comes natural. Our badge must be a love for the Lord and a love for the Word of the Lord and a love for the children of the Lord. So let's stand together and give an invitation today. Ask the Lord to help us love one another as Christ loved us. And then let's ask, us, ask the Lord to help us love the world like Christ loved the lost. And if you're here and you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior yet, let me know. Uh, let me let you know that Jesus has expressed the greatest measure of love He could to you in giving His life and giving His blood uh, for you because He loved you and gave Himself for you. So uh, come and trust Him as your Savior and know personally uh, know personally what the love of Christ means. And so uh, you come as we sing. Uh, let's sing a verse of invitation. What are we going to sing, Brother Grissom? 562. 562 in your hymn book. Let's uh, turn there. And if you are led to respond at the invitation, uh, just put your hymn book down and come, just as I am, without one plea. Father, we ask you to bless this invitation time. We pray that each of us 
Lord, I know that uh, I don't always uh, live in that manner that you uh, command us to live. I, I have to say, Lord, that there are times uh, regularly that I have failed to express the love of Christ as fully as I should. And I know we're all feeling some sense of that today. And Father, I pray that if uh, we're just really getting a hold of this truth, that you'd help us to be committed to it more than ever we were. Help us to love our brothers and sisters. Help us to look for that which we can praise and encourage in our brothers and sisters. And help us, Lord, to love the lost and love thy word and to love thee. And Lord, we pray that the brand that uh, we have, the logo that we have, would be this, that we love one another. Bless the invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing 562, if you come, will you? And uh, respond today. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was 